You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Yesterday, as we just watched in video, was uh, 20 years. Hard to believe, hasn't it been? That's been 20 years since that fateful day in September. And uh, I was a um, junior in Bible college, and uh, actually senior in Bible college. And uh, my wife, uh, we were married my last year of Bible college, and I remember her sharing. Forget how I don't think we had cell phones, or we didn't have you know some of the access we have immediately. But uh, her getting word, me getting word, and I'm sure you remember where you were when that moment happened. For those that are at least maybe my age, a generation, and older. And also on that day, uh, my in-laws and my wife lost uh, their son, Stephen, and uh, Heidi's brother. There's a lot of grief connected to that day in our family. And uh, I remember hearing of and, and thinking of who I knew that worked in those, uh, those buildings. And I'm thankful that we still have his word today. With all that we've lost or all that we wish were a little different in our lives, his word. And uh, I was just sharing today in our small group, we were talking about what makes you happy. That was the first question of our small group. And I said a lot of things, but one of them is just getting a cup of coffee and opening up his word and just being able to hear from God and let him touch my heart and mind with his truth. And uh, I hope that you're waiting on him today. And I'm telling you, it's worth the wait and you'll not regret it. And it's not going to be, oh, this is a downer. This didn't live up to the hype or whatever it will be the exact opposite. I can't believe I didn't wait with more expectancy and confidence and comfort that all that God gives. I hope that you're waiting upon him. All right, if you will, take your Bibles this morning, turn to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 18 in just a moment. Uh, we've been looking at uh, together uh, what we've called bite-sized spirituality, just trying to take one component of um, the spiritual battles and uh, realities of our world and uh, of God and uh, what he's doing through all of these things and trying our best to study them, uh, not comprehensively, but uh, in an overview. And I was grateful for how God touched our service last week as we studied on God. And today we want to continue that study. Look if you will in Colossians chapter 2 and let's look, read if you will there verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward. Here we see Christ speaking to these believers in a voluntary humility, notice this next phrase, in worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Today we want to look at this subject, angels, both the good ones and the bad ones, and making sure that we appreciate how our doctrine of angels affects a lot of things. And it's an important part of our walk with the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the privileges to gather today. Lord, these songs have been um, not just therapeutic in the sense we would use that in a tangible sense. They have caused our souls to soar and to recalibrate around you, who you are, and your truth, and its, its, um, its impact, not just in the here and now, but for eternity. We thank you for that, that we have the bedrock of your word to more and to build upon our lives and to, to, to strengthen and, and solidify, Lord, what often emotionally we are prone to wander into. We thank you for your word, and I pray that you help us to be faithful to it today. Lord, in an area that often is misunderstood or underappreciated, I pray, Father, we would let your word alone speak to us in this area of our lives and relationship with you and your will for us. 
uh, that is crucial. And I pray that we would be uh, beneficiaries of your word as we place ourselves under it today. Bless this study. Be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I don't know if you've ever, you have the grandkids or the kids over, and you're like, hey kids, let's, let's instead of playing video games or other things or some of the newer things that they're aware of, you say, let's watch some of the old classic cartoons. You know, I'm talking like Looney Tune era, um, Tom and Jerry, uh, Wild E. Coyote, Roadrunner, some of those. And so, you, you know, you put it up on the screen, and you sit there, you're like, this is, so, is going to be so nostalgic and so wholesome. And then as you start watching, you're like, these are the most violent, like, <laughs> dramatic productions. I mean, you have people blow up, and then the next frame is they're alive again, you know. And especially I'm thinking of the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote or Tom and Jerry. Those two are very violent shows, okay? Um, one of the other things I remember, I can't remember which cartoon it was, uh, growing up, but if you, do you remember where they would have a character and then they'd have like the bad angel and the good angel on the shoulder and they're like whispering, no, do this, no, do this. And they're like trying to like direct this character in whatever direction that they're, uh, they're trying to accomplish, whether it's the good angel or the bad angel. Can I just say to you, as it relates to angels, as we begin today, I don't know if I've ever preached on angels before. I have to be honest with you. And probably you haven't heard thousands or hundreds or even dozens of sermons on it, so I don't at least have to compete with anybody maybe on this subject. But I was struck by, as I was preparing for our study today, how important it is for us to have an accurate view and not a, skew, a skewed view of angels, both those who are faithful and those who have fallen. And I would say to you today, nowhere are the forces of darkness having more of a field day than in our dismissiveness or our skewed view of these real beings that have a God-ordained purpose that right now, listen to me, in this very moment are at work. This moment, whatever time it is, it's 10.52 a.m. If you're watching this live or you're in the room, at this very moment, those forces are as real as you. They're as real as me. And there's an agenda that is a godly agenda, and there's an agenda that is a devilish agenda, as we've already studied on Satan in our series, that you and I need to appreciate i give you an example of this, how often we misspeak on this front. And I mean no ill will to this gentleman, but yesterday I was at the fair, and to pray for those who are here uh, or there this morning, Pastor Nathan and some others working uh, this morning. But um, I had a man who went by, we were talking, and he had John 3.16 on his, on his hat, so I assume he knew Christ or something of that effect. And I don't know him personally, but he, as we were talking, this little red flyer wagon went by, and there were two little children in it, very little with their, look like they hadn't had a haircut yet, like kind of that era with just the golden locks and all of that. And, and he said to me, he said, there goes a couple of angels straight from heaven. And I just, I, I actually said after he said that without affirming that, I said, that's funny you say that because we're actually studying that tomorrow in church and almost want to say, and I'd like to tell you a few things, you know, that maybe counter that. Let's be honest today. Those two children outside of if they put faith in Jesus Christ, they're, they're, they're heathens, right? They need Jesus, bluntly put, your grandkids and, and my kids and all of us that know children. And often we use angels in a way, uh, we mean well by it, I'm sure he did as well, but we need to let the Word of God clearly define that for us. Now, we're not going to unpack Colossians chapter 2, but I just want to show you here, by way of illustration as we begin, that when we get off with angels, or when we're off in this area of doctrine, it tends to lead us in other directions that are also not good. And so you see here this kind of fake humility, this fake or artificial uh, piety 
These legalists who went the wrong direction on many things, including they were teaching the worship of angels, which is clearly forbidden in Scripture, right? We could unpack those. We don't have time to do that today. And so obviously, uh, we need to be very careful in this area as well as others. So the question today is this, and they have misunderstanding angels. How do we allow God's Word to clarify their role, R-O-L-E, in our relationship with God. Let's talk about two categories of angels that help us understand the spiritual world better. Number one, first of all, let's talk for a few minutes about angels who are faithful. Angels who are faithful. Um, I'm always looking for fresh material illustrations, so if you post something online, it's fair game, okay? I might ask your permission, I may not. But the other day, Faith Belcher posted this picture of her dad and her. So this is Faith in a photo booth. She's now in, she's studying to be a pharmacist, so she's early 20s, but this is Rod Belcher. Some of you know who Rod is? He would kill me. He's, not, he's out of town. I made sure he was out of town today. He's probably, he's probably watching right now, like just, oh, you know, wants to reach through the live stream and strangle me. But when I think of good angels, the guy with the curly hair, the one on the top left, he's like looking up. Like it just, that, that kind of is what I think of. Now, probably the real angel in the picture is the little girl. It's not Rod. Okay, I know Rod. And he's probably since corrupted her and you know, with his way of thinking. But, but good angels, the, the innocence, the purity that we see, the, uh, the relationship that these individuals have with God. Let's talk about where these angels are still faithful in their relationship with God, those that we would call angels. We'll talk about demons in just a moment, but these would be those that are in right relationship with God. What, what are they doing and who are they that uh, we should appreciate this morning? Go to Psalm 104. And some of you, your fingers were uh, flaming out by the end of our sermon last week. We'll look at several texts again today, but I want all of our teaching to be built squarely on the Word, and we're not unpacking any of these verses other than just to uh, solidify and to build our, our spiritual understanding upon them. Psalm 104, and if you would please, verse number 4. The context is clearly God's creative power in interjecting himself into time and space and in the midst of creating all of these other things, including the heavens that he stretches out like a curtain. In verse number four, it says, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. There in your notes, I think you have a few sub points. Let's talk about, first of all, their faithfulness in their nature. So they're, they're maintaining uh, what God intended for them originally. They are faithful in nature. Number one, they are spirits created by God. And it's key to note that they are spirits. We don't know this for sure, but it's very likely that angels, the body that they have, that they're using to move around and to serve God and to serve mankind, is a celestial body. It's a glorified body that may have parallels to what we will someday inhabit, who know Christ as Savior. Um, and, and so we see that at least being alluded to in Scripture. It's interesting, we'll talk about demons more in just a moment, but fallen angels are disembodied spirits. And you'll often see them try to move into something that's animate to express themselves, to speak, to do something. We have the, obviously the story of them getting into that herd of swine after being displaced from the demoniac of Gadara. And so this, this, they are spirits created by God. The angels that often we see portrayed in our culture uh, miss that fact. And they are given certain physical attributes or tangible attributes uh, that are out of step with what God reveals. So they are spirits created by God. All right, number two, they are creatures that are clearly defined by God's Word. 
So they are defined, we need to define them by God's Word. Let's talk about a few areas quickly. Go to the New Testament to Matthew chapter number 22. And there's a few things about um, these, these uh, angels that you and I need to appreciate today uh, as defined by Scripture. Matthew chapter 22, and if you would please, verse 30. So angels are created by God. Number two, they are to be defined by uh, not what we feel or think or culture or even cartoons tell us. They're to be defined by the Word of God. Matthew 22, and if you would please, verse 30. For in the resurrection they neither excuse me, marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. All right, a few things under that. I don't know if these are in your outline, but you may want to jot these down. Angels lack gender distinction in the sense that we would refer to it. Um, the, the male pronoun is used in Scripture, but they clearly Christ here is saying um, that there's not the same gender distinction that we see in the human sense, which is interesting to think about even as it relates to us. Um, we will be known even as we are known, the Scriptures say, but I don't know that our male and female will have the exact same, um, at least application or distinction that it does here. We still are made with gender. God intended that for us, but it will look a bit different in eternity. And so the angels here are clearly revealed as lacking gender distinction. They are referred to as he, not discounting that, but we see clearly that it looks different in the heavenly realm. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. A second definition or clarification as it relates to angels. Um, and, and I would just throw this out there. I think I've seen portrayals of angels that would run counter some of these teachings, whether they're effeminate or um, you know, even presented as a woman angel. I, I just think we have to be very careful with how we uh, ascribe that. Hebrews 12, and if you would please, verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, Notice this description now of the angels, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Number two, they not only lack gender distinction in the human sense, number two, they are regularly described in large numbers. This is not a few isolated members of, of God's created order. They are a significant portion of uh, heaven. They are an innumerable, as the writer of Hebrews, they're a massive group of angels. Um, when we enter eternity, we will regularly interact with them. We can't miss them. It's kind of the vibe we sense from the peaks into eternity that God gives us. All right, back to Ezekiel for a moment. A third characteristic, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And if you would please, chapter 1. So the first chapter of Ezekiel, we see this description Sorry, Lamentations is between there. Sorry about that. Ezekiel chapter 1, and if you would please, verse number 13. And Ezekiel has this vision of God, and it's, I've seen artists try to describe or to depict this. Um, but notice just one uh, reference to these living creatures, which seem to be angelic in nature. Verse 13, And as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and like the appearance of lamps. It went out and down among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. Notice this. And the living creatures ran in return as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Next, they are described as possessing great speed. Think about they're covering light years of time to come from, uh, and any time you're reading in Scripture where God's sending an angel to earth, I mean, they can travel vast distances 
um, in, in, in a very short period of time. They're not omniscient, but they can move quickly from one place uh, to, or omnipresent, but they can move from one place to another quickly. All right, then back to Psalm, the book of Psalms, Psalm 103, a couple more here. These are biblical descriptions of angels. We want God's word to be what defines them, not something or someone else. Psalm 103, and if you would please, verse 20. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, notice this next phrase, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. If you just got there, look again at the beginning of the verse. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength. They are described as having great strength, though again they are not omnipotent. They possess great strength. And then the last one, 2 Samuel 14. Would you go there for a moment as well? 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 20. 2 Samuel 14 and verse number 20. The Bible says this in describing um, David and describing this situation. Notice what is said here. He says, To fetch about uh, this form of speech hath thy servant Joab done this thing. Notice this. And my Lord is wise according to the wisdom of an angel of God to know all things that are in the earth. And so they are lastly described as having wisdom. Great wisdom. Um, and I think it'll be fascinating to um, see what they know, what they've experienced in that wisdom. Um, if you know what I mean by precious moments, like collectibles, do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Um, I remember Heidi's cousin having uh, her, she just kept collecting them. She had a lighted glass cabinet, she had a, and then eventually her husband just built where normally it'd be crown molding around the entire living space, this shelf. And there are all these little beady eyes, you know, at night... <laughs> Uh, looking at you when the lights were turned out. It, was just, it wasn't so precious, the moment, you know. But uh, someone was talking about the idea of angels, these that are being described here. And he said this, biblical angels, the key word is biblical, biblical angels are more like Poseidon, which is uh, a mythical god of sea, storm, and earthquakes. He's more like Poseidon than he is precious moments. And I think sometimes we have a too soft of a view of these creatures, they're described as burning. There, there's, there's power. There's wisdom. Again, these are created by a God who is even greater in wisdom and power when we need to make sure that we appreciate who and what they are. All right, now let's talk about number two. They're faithful not only in nature, but in their order. Faithful in order. Let's talk about the different categories of angels quickly um, that God's Word gives to us. Number one, there's the category of a general sense of angels. So these would be just um, the run of the mill, if that's the way to use the word after I just said that we need to be uh, moved by them, their abilities and power that God has given to them. But they are, first of all, described as angels. And if you're taking notes, I would jot down this. They, the name angel means messenger. I don't know if I were to ask you before we start, hey, what does the word angel mean? It just means a messenger. And so we see these angels serving as messengers. They are seen over and over in Scripture as servants of God, willing to do at a moment's notice God's bidding and to communicate something, to pass something on to mankind. And what's interesting is now they ministering messengers, but they also are interested in our service to God as ministers of the message of God. I think it's interesting to me to think on the fact I am to be a messenger and there's another created order that also has that role. Um, and so we need to be careful to appreciate what God has given them in the days gone by to communicate. And can I give you just a summary of this? 
Think of this, how intricately involved the angels were in God's activity. Angels were, at the pre- were present at creation, Job 38, 7. They were present at the giving of the law, Galatians 3, 19. At the birth of Christ, Luke 2, 13. At Christ's temptation, Matthew 4, 11. At his resurrection, Matthew 28, 2. At his ascension, Acts chapter 1 and verse 10. And in Matthew 13 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, they will accompany him at his second coming. And one of the things I was struck by as I was working through this is how how involved angels are in all of God's plan and purpose. And yet, here's my question to you. Do you really believe they exist? We tend to relegate that to cartoons or um, to to fictional accounts or sci-fi or whatever you want to attribute that to instead of they are involved in everything that God is doing. And if they're a got-to-be-there kind of importance to God, they should also be important to us, even when we can't perceive them, and even when we don't fully understand maybe all that they are doing uh, in and around us. And Hebrews 13.2 reminds us, you've probably heard this verse before, it says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby, think of this, some have entertained angels unawares. And I've thought about that before when, you know, and I'm not like the most, fil- you know, um, giving person and helping everybody. I-, I tend to be a bit cynical sometimes if I'm not careful. But am I looking for and am I ministering to those God puts in my life? Who knows if I'm ministering to someone who also is allied with God, someone that uh, in that moment we partner together for the purpose and plan of God. And so angels are in and around everything that goes on in our lives. So be not forgetful to entertain strangers. All right. Then if you will, go to Exodus, and let's talk about a second category. And again, you can probably feel we're moving quickly today. We have to if we're going to get through our study. doing my best to give you an overview of these two types of angels, the faithful and the alternative. But look, if you will, here at a second category of those who are faithful. Exodus 25, and if you would, please, verse 18. We don't have time to look at it, but in Genesis chapter 3, remember Adam and Eve fall, and God cast them out of the garden, what did he place with a flaming sword at the gate of the garden? It was this second category, the cherubim, and that now we see it referenced again in Exodus with the making of the Ark of the Covenant. Look at verse 19, Exodus 25, Exodus, go back to verse 18, thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work, shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall he make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. The cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubims be. So number two, we have angels. That's one order or section of the angelic host who are faithful. Number two, you have the cherubim. These heavenly creatures throughout Scripture, where they're referenced, always are associated with the vindication of God's holiness. They're they're defending His holiness. They're identified with the defense of God's holiness. And unlike angels, I don't know if, if you caught this, I didn't reference this earlier, but angels are never described as having wings, the general category of angels. It is only this second group, the cherubim, Uh, who are described, as well as the seraphim, we'll get to in just a moment, as having wings. God told told the artificers, the crafters of the ark, and it's insightful, he knew what they looked like, and he said that they had wings, and so we see them referenced here. Now, who else was a part of the order of the cherubim? Who was a cherub, the anointed cherub in Ezekiel? 
Satan, right? We talked about him. And so it's interesting to see how far that Lucifer has fallen from this category of being a part of this order. All right, and then lastly, the third order in Isaiah 6. Would you go there for a moment as well? Isaiah chapter 6, and let's look at verse 1. We referenced this passage earlier in our study. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 1. Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up in verse number 1 of Isaiah 6. Go, if you will, to verse number 2. Isaiah 6, 2. So above this train of God that fills the temple, above it stood the seraphims, each one having six wings. All right, that's profound. That's kind of interesting to think about. With twain, or with two, he covered his face. With twain or two, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. And one cried unto another. So you see them communicating and said, holy, holy, holy. There we alluded to the Trinity, at least being alluded to there, is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then if you go down to verse 6, it says, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand. This is the only reference to the third order. This is the only place in the word of God we find reference, the seraphim, the seraphs and what they're doing in relation to God. Since they're mentioned only once, it's, it's limited what we can just use to describe them, but their name, seraphim, means burning ones, fiery ones is the language here, and may symbolize their identity with the holiness of God. Um, and so we see them worshiping God. I think the seraphim are used uh, to worship God and unceasingly, holy, holy, holy. It's likely we may see them someday in eternity in this very role constantly affirming the holiness of God. They too obviously are described here as having wings and not just two, which is interesting to think on. So kind of just this takeaway, say, Pastor, what is that? how does that apply? I think the key word in this is the word order. Unlike the second category we're going to get to in just a moment, these angels are perfectly aligned under the God that they serve and worship. They identify under his authority, they identify under his purpose, and we would do well to imitate that position or that posture. These are the faithful angels. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. And so to be aligned with God, to be a faithful minister of God in our own role as man, as as people, as believers, we must also always do so faithfully in order. Forget the organic, forget the, the, the fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of faith. We need to let God's Word and His purpose and plan give to us order. All right, lastly, let's spend a few minutes talking about, number three, they're faithful in their ministry. So they're faithful, number one, in their nature. Number two, they're faithful in their order. Thirdly, they're faithful in their ministry. What does an angel do? There's no morning really in heaven in the sense we would use it, but what gets them up in the morning? What are they, what are they doing? What's, what's their agenda? What's their purpose? What is their calling? It's interesting, from everything I can read, there are approximately uh, 270 references to angels in the Bible. So for those of you who may think, hey, couldn't we study on something that has a little broader and bigger significance? There are a lot of things we preach on regularly that are mentioned just a few times in Scripture. 270 times the, the, the angel uh, of some sort is referenced. And almost without exception, it's closely associated with what they're doing. You don't see Scripture. And here's where we get off with angels sometimes. We start focusing on who they are intrinsically. 
The Bible is always very careful to talk about what they're doing, what God sent them to do, and what they're accomplishing often in human history, time, and space. Uh, And so their identity is closely associated uh, with their ministry, with their purpose. It's not about them. It's about the God that they're serving. And as we started with today, therefore, our focus needs to not be on the angel, but on who they're serving. And so be thinking on that as we talk about their activity of ministry. All right, let's talk for a few minutes about how they minister to God. What do they do in relation to God? Two things you could jot down underneath of that. Number one, they worship God. It's obvious, but we don't want to assume anything today. And we will not read Scripture as it speaks to that. We've already talked about that. They're worshiping, they're worshiping, they're worshiping God. And they've been doing so from the moment they were created. Worship is not boring. (laughs) Worship is not one-dimensional. It's filled, it's been their primary occupation and, and role in relation to God, and they tirelessly and joyfully have worshiped God since the beginning. All right, one verse in the second area. Would you go to 1 Timothy 3? What's the second ministry that they do toward God? 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16. This is an interesting verse. Again, angels are kind of almost just added in as a, as a kind of a sidebar. It almost feels like as we read it, but there are little glimpses into their role. 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. The Bible is giving a summary of the church, what it is, what its role is as the pillar and ground of the truth. And then notice in verse 16, this kind of overview of God's uh, purpose with truth and how he's meeting it out through the, the local church. Verse 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit. Notice this next phrase, seen of angels, preached unto, Gent- unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And so you have a summary of Christ's ministry and the purpose that was accomplished through Him. But it's interesting there in verse 16, it says one of the key things is he was seen of angels. The second responsibility or ministry that angels have to God is they not only worship him, they, are, they stand in awe of his activities. It's as if there are spectators. Um, for the guys in the room, a few of you are downcast today. I heard the, that a team we love lost yesterday, okay? And the California guy's laughing, the, UC, the uh, USC guy. Um, but a few of you are downcast. I asked Ian, he's a huge Buckeyes fan. He just kind of I said, what was the score? You just kind of didn't want to talk about it. Do um, you remember last year when we had sports without fans? You remember what that, you know, they keep the cameras zoomed in and they try to pump everybody up, but it just wasn't the same. And even you'd have fake crowd noise piped in into the stadium and into the light, you know, into the feed for the TV. I'm telling you, sports is better with fans, isn't it? Can I tell you that God also values that? And he literally has. I don't know what, if they sell jerseys in heaven, I'm not trying to be irreverent today, but they are fans of our God. And they stand in awe just watching and worshiping and and observing what God is doing from his throne, through his son, all the glorious things that he has done. The angels have been there to stand in awe. And you notice this here, he says, as God does this plan, He wants us to know that everything he's done is seen of angels. That's an interesting uh, maybe add-on to our view of God's activity. One question that I have for the angels, if I'm given the chance, wouldn't it be neat to be able to have them tell us what it felt like when he 
sent his word to Daniel and some of the angels he sent to Daniel, the, the visions he gave when, when, when he created the world, when he, I mean, the fact that they were witnesses of those things. I just love that God has gone on record in a way that, that maybe in some way will enhance our experience of God in eternity. They have been witnesses of all that God has done. All right, number two, there's a ministry not just to God, but to man. Go to Luke chapter 1. Again, these are just a few examples, familiar verses to us of ways that angels have ministered to man through human history. Luke chapter number 1, and if you would please, verse 26. And I don't know if you got your Christmas all planned and ready yet, but yesterday at the fair we had a lady that put her ticket in the gift card drawing for Amazon. She said Christmas is coming, and she's this mom's trying to get her budget together for that. But here in Luke, we see the description of the early events that led to uh, the incarnation, the birth of Christ, and shortly it will be upon us. Not to make you panic, but Luke chapter 1, look if you will, verse 26. So you have Mary, who is, is described here in, in the beginning of this chapter. The angel has just appeared to Zacharias. And now in verse 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. That, that, just that phrase, ought to just think about that. Like we look at it from the human side. Think about that conversation. Hey, hey Gabriel, hey Gabe, I don't know if, if God works on that level with his angels, but would you, would you go tell this, this gal what's about to happen? Sorry, Gabe, I forgot Gabe's here today. Um, but would you go and, and share with her some context to, to tell her things like this? With God, all things are possible. What love, what care, and through the ministry of angels, God has often communicated with man. And so we see them serving first as messengers to man. Notice, it says in verse 28, And the angel came unto her and said, This is from God, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And he goes on to answer her questions and concerns and, and, and to direct her and how God is going to do the impossible through her womb. Chapter 2, quickly in verse 13. Chapter 2 and verse 13. So the angel appears in verse 10, fear not to the shepherds. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So we see again the messenger, the messenger role of the angels. One author said this, in heaven and earth, angels and their magnificence serve to call attention to the grandeur of God and surprisingly serve to call attention to the lesser but breathtaking grandeur of the simplest believer. Isn't it amazing that God would take an angel from heaven and send them to one person? Again, don't get hung up on the angel. The fact that God values one little virgin to tell her what he told her, to go to Joseph and reveal God's care, God's intimate, personal touch with his people. The author goes on, God intends for the role of angels to thrill us with his grace and power and wisdom in the way he created, the way he governs, and the way he is saving his people. The angels are a means. They are not the end, but they're a glorious means to appreciate God's care of his people. All right, secondly, go to Matthew 18. And I thought of this verse in the little dialogue I had with the dear man at the fair booth yesterday. And in this vein of thought, I would agree with him that God cares about children and values them greatly, and angels actually have a role in that. Matthew 18, and if you would please, verse number 10. 
Christ here has just been interacting with children in a loving, tender way, and some of the confusion as it related to that with his children or with his disciples. And in verse 10, he makes an interesting statement. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. Number two, angels serve not only as messengers to man, they also serve as guardians. The buzzword that we often use would be that, as guardians of man. Now, I want to be careful today to say this. I, we don't know all that Jesus was talking about here in Matthew 18.10, but we have to be careful not to take one verse and build a broad doctrine upon it. And here would be just maybe a pump-the-brakes thought on guardian angels. There's nothing in Scripture that teaches that every one of us have a guardian angel. I dare you to find it in Scripture. I'd love to see it afterwards today. And I'm saying that because I, I search for it, okay? I double-check that. But I do think in a general sense, they do provide protection. They do, um, at times, God uses them to look after us and to provide for us. They are uh, used as, at times, His instruments. But we do not see clearly in Scripture this idea that's been espoused by Christian tradition, so-called for many centuries, that each of us have a guardian angel. We have to be careful of that. But you do see here that there's an advocacy, there's a, a guardianship that children have that Christ at least alludes to uh, here in the text. And there maybe have been a thing or two that you and I have missed out on. I, can, I don't know about you, I can remember moments I should not be here today because of those moments. Do you have those? I remember almost hitting a semi head on through a series of events or the semi was going to hit me. And somehow my car got from where it was and still should be or should have been when that semi was there, and it wasn't. I'm not necessarily saying that was an angel, but I at least can see those moments, can't you? Uh, and so we need to appreciate how God has used them and is using them. All right, thirdly, go if you will to Luke chapter 15. So they serve as messengers. Number two, they serve as guardians. Thirdly, they serve as spectators. So they witness what God is doing. They also witness what we are doing. This is interesting. Luke chapter 15. And as you're turning there, uh, men, if I ask you today, and I'm not trying to corner you, don't answer out loud because you may get yourself in trouble. But if you were to describe your wife in one word, what would the word be? All right. Okay. Just think and keep your mouth shut right now. Okay. Would be my advice. All right. Nothing is better than the wrong thing. Okay. But if you were to use the word angel... Um, I don't know how she would perceive that. The other day I heard of a guy who compared his wife to an angel, and, and it wasn't in a good way. He said this, my wife is an angel. She's always up in the air harping about something. It's just always doing that. <laughs> always up in the air harping about something. Um, we men need spectators, okay? And our wives often provide that for us, keeping us in line or at least trying. But angels are, are serving as spectators. Look here in Luke 15 and verse 10. And we're actually, I, I didn't say this yet, I had the slide up at the beginning, but next week is our smile, if you didn't notice, we're having smile emphasis, did you catch that? If you didn't, you're blind today, okay? But next Sunday is our smile, hey, thanks guys, that's good. Uh, smile more services next week, and we're actually going to study this text, Luke 15, and the rejoicing that happens when God works in a heart and life. So I hope you'll invite folks to come, and we're looking forward to that. But look here in Luke 15, right in the middle of all this, we'll study next week, notice verse 10. Likewise, Christ says, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, one sinner that repenteth. 
the angels are watching what's happening. We had, as I mentioned to our Sunday night crowd at least, we had one of our bus riders, Tesla, got saved last week after junior church or the end, and we had a few teens that have received Christ as Savior in the last week or so. It's just awesome to see what God's doing in our young people. But you can, you can minimize that if you want. Heaven got excited about it. Last Sunday about this time, maybe another half hour or so, um, there was rejoicing. They're observing. They're celebrating. That to me is amazing. It's not just God that's moved. It's all that he has created in heaven. Everything that, it, that is around his throne gets excited about what happens in the heart of a human being. All right, that's the positive side. Let's go to the negative side. Revelation 14. This struck me as well. This phrase that is found here, Revelation 14, as angels are watching what we are doing and where we are at in relation to God. Revelation 14 and verse 9 so angels are watching us and responding to how we're relating to God. Verse, if you will, uh, number t- uh, 9, Revelation 14, 9. And the third angel, so you see several angels being mentioned here as they meet out judgment and God uses them. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, we're now in the tribulation period, and receive uh, his mark in his forehead or his hand, the same, notice this, shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. This is an angel declaring this, which is poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. Notice this next phrase, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Some read that quickly and say, oh yeah, the fallen angels, the demons. No, he's saying that those who are suffering for sin, their own willful rejection of Christ, will be witnessed to by angels. And so they are spectators. They are watching and observing and bearing witness of God's justice and holiness, not just in giving blessing through grace and mercy, but through justice to those who reject Him. They are our witnesses. They're watching us today. They're watching what's happening in our nursery and our kids' wing and what's happening at the fairgrounds today. And we could go further out from that. God is witness to what's going on. These beings are our spectators. If we were to talk to them today, again, not to go to seed on this, but what would be their assessment of where you're at today and where you're headed? What a convicting thought. What a sense of accountability we have. All right, next, if you will, Acts chapter 10. Let's go back there for just a moment, right after the Gospels, Acts chapter 10, and verse number 3. So they serve as messengers to man, guardians to man, of man, spectators of man. Notice out here in Acts chapter 10, an interesting little dialogue with a man named Cornelius. Acts chapter 10 and verse 3, this devout man as described earlier, verse 3, he, Cornelius, saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. Again, he knows his name. God knew his name. This angel knew his name. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? He said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Next, angels at times in human history have served as guides for man. Now, I want to caution on this because there have been some whole religions based on an angel at the foot of the bed or some angel that appeared. As we have received the complete canon of Scripture, this is our primary point of reference, right? And a faithful angel will never lead us in a way that's contrary to what the Bible teaches, right? God's will is never out of step with itself, and so we have to be careful with that. But there have been times, and 
are times where God uses messengers such as angels to guide. And so we see God doing that to Cornelius, pointing him then to Peter. By the way, you don't see the angel leading Cornelius to Christ or baptizing him. He points him to Peter, the apostle. He points him to the local church. Uh, And so again, we have to be guarded when we say they serve as guides, but we do at least see in Scripture uh, that precedent, as well as obviously in the Old Testament. All right, and then the last one would be Hebrews chapter 1. Go there for a moment, if you will, as well. I don't know if you sense this or not, but I'm trying to make sure you understand what it's not as well. Teaching on these subjects is not just what is an angel, but also what are they not. Hebrews chapter number, uh, what did I say? Chapter 1 in verse 14. Hebrews 1 in verse 14. And obviously in verse 13, he's speaking of angels. And then he says of these angels in verse 14, are they not, Hebrews 1:14, are they not all ministering spirits, I love this, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Lastly, they are serving as meeting needs for man. They meet needs for man. And you may want to jot this down underneath of that. Um, nowhere in Scripture do we see, at least in a direct sense, where an angel comes to minister to an unbeliever. Not a faithful angel. Um, We see these angels are always sent to minister to those, as the writer of Hebrews says, that are heirs of salvation. They come to help. They come to aid. They come to be a part of God's blessing and favor uh, to us. And so they serve as a meter of needs. All right, so you say, Pastor, then how's that? What does that mean for us as New Testament believers? I think only eternity will reveal the multitude of instances that angels have protected us, assisted us, been used by God in some way in our earthly walk. And the takeaway would be this. We need to appreciate that God took the time to send them our way. Not about the messenger, not about the minister. It's about the God who has sent them. And we must savor a God. We must celebrate a God who is so intimate and personal in our lives. So kind of this takeaway then, what are we to do with this increased understanding or reaffirmed understanding of good angels? We should, here's the takeaway, worship and serve the one who is everything to them. We don't do Colossians 2.18. We don't worship the angels. We need to appreciate the God. We need to worship the God. Listen to me. Someday we will stand shoulder to shoulder with these beings and we won't worship them and they won't worship us. We will all worship him. And so we need to believe that today and not allow the worship of angels. And I'm not picking on you if you have it, but an angel on the dashboard or some figure of angel in your house that makes you feel better. Be very careful with those kind of images and, and vibes that alone God uh, is rightly to, uh, to receive. One author said this, there's nothing wrong with being curious about angels, but it would be backwards to make them our focus Because if we could look into heaven at what they're doing, we would find their eyes fixed on the one who is seated on the throne, their mouths singing praises to the Lamb, and we would hear them telling us, we are your fellow servants, worship God. And so this conclusion, so let us wonder about angels, but worship their God. And as for every look we take at them, let us take ten looks at the object of their gaze, Jesus Christ, the one who was made lower than the angels, that he might raise us up above them. That's where our focus uh, must be. So some angels are faithful. Now let's talk about the other side of the equation, which is some angels are fallen. Number two, some angels have fallen. 
Um, any of you ladies remember, I don't know why I'm picking on the guys today. It's safer than picking on the ladies, for one. Um, any of you remember when your husband, what was the first thing he said to you? When he didn't know you or he did know you, but it's going from we're friends or whatever to now, like, I'm interested in you. What was, their, what was the first words that they said to you? Often, if they were like me, they were a bit awkward, okay? I can't remember exactly what I said to Heidi. We were in uh, their church. His dad, her dad was pastoring at the time. I remember it was Christmas. I came home from college, and I don't know what I said. I'm sure it was really amazing and profound. And uh, Yeah, right. Um, but the other day, I heard this, this, this bad kind of opening line, you know, guy talking to a girl, and he said, did it hurt when you fell? Have you heard this? Yeah. And the girl says, huh? She should have known. And he says, when you fell from heaven. Like, have you ever heard that? When you fell from heaven, you know, this idea of falling. Um, the name demon. So we mentioned that angel means messenger. You could jot this down. Demon means fallen angel. Demon is another way of saying fallen angel. And so these are not separate sidebar created beings of God. They have fallen from where uh, they used to be. Um, and I think we have to be very careful with this doctrine, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we can go to seed on it, but I think sometimes we are attributing to demons. We either, go, we either underestimate them, and we'll talk about it in a moment, or um, we, we, ascribe, we, we ascribe things or we say this happened because of a demon, their activity. And some examples of that would be, you know, I have a dead car battery. I've heard things attributed to these kind of silly things. Um, a traffic jam, a price increase, you know, at your favorite restaurant where they, they're attributing that there's this spiritual resistance and they're doing so in a very flippant and light manner. And may I just remind us today that God, who alone created all angels, emphasis on all, is the only one that should define them for us. Um, and I hear flippantly sometimes demons or the devil um, and things that are happening being identified or associated with them uh, that we have no biblical foundation for. So let's talk about what the Bible says about these angels who have fallen. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes about the fact that they are fallen in nature. They are fallen in their very nature. Jude 6 says that they have left their first estate, is the way that Jude describes it. That, that they, have, they have literally abandoned what God intended and created them to be. And it's very likely that we have angels who are now demons, cherubim, seraphim. We know we have cherubim, right? Satan was one that now are in this singular category of demons. So let's talk about this fallen nature and what that means for us as believers. Go to Revelation 12 and verse number 4. Revelation 12 and verse 4. And obviously, Revelation uses some um, symbolic language, some allegorical expressions at times to describe end-time events. But if you will quickly look here in verse number four, it says this in his tale, talking of the great red dragon, uh, a reference to Satan. Earlier, it's talking of Israel and the animosity between the Jews and Satan because of Jesus. Verse four, in his tail, this dragon drew the third part of the stars of heaven. And the stars that are referenced there is parallel to other passages where, that, where stars is a descriptive word or a, a, a creative way of describing angels. And so first of all, they are fallen in nature in their number. Their number is one-third of the original host of heaven. He's talking one-third of the stars. And so when Satan rebelled against God and revolted like he does with mankind, he wanted allies and he convinced one-third of the heavenly host to join him in that insurrection. They are a massive uh, group of demons. 
Number two, Ephesians 6. Verse number two. Let's go there for a moment. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm sorry, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12. So they are fallen in nature and their number. Number two, they are fallen in their essence is the word there. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this present world, or of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So they are fallen in number, they are fallen in their essence. They are described as principalities and powers. They resist God, they fight against God over and over. And yet the reminder is that they were made by God. Colossians 1.16, for, uh, for by him were all things created there in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Even demons were made by God. Uh, and we must appreciate that, that they serve a purpose. Uh, we talked about this morning in our small group, why would God create us if he knew we would fall? Why did he create us? We, there's a purpose in all of that. And the same is true with the demons. The devil is still God's devil. The demons are still God's demons. He's using them. Don't be intimidated by that. Confidently trust in the fact God is using even them for his uncompromising purpose. All right, number two, they are fallen not only in nature. Number two, they are fallen in defeat. In defeat. A friend of mine who's a pastor, he had one of his church members come to him the other day, and I saw this right when I was working on this sermon, and the church member said to him, Pastor, could we study angels and like maybe demons? Like He was just like excited to study on that. The pastor friend of mine said, no, the former, that would be the angels, they bore me. That was kind of his initial thought on it. He was just being kind of tongue-in-cheek, and the latter scares me to really dig into that. And I'll be honest with you, coming even in our study today, this part, uh, we have to enter into this with a level of sobriety. With that being said, there's no reason to be timid today about a subject that God's Word is clear on, right? They're defeated. They're a defeated foe. They will be defeated someday uh, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. All right, let's spend just a couple of minutes. Can I give you a few sub-points? For sake of time, I'm not going to read these verses, but can I give you a few things that Jesus did or will do that make sure we know that these demons will be defeated? Number one, demons were defeated at the temptation of Jesus. It's interesting in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan gets done with um, the devil and wins that battle of temptation, who comes and ministers to him? The faithful angels. It's just interesting that they're included in the narrative there. And so uh, they have been defeated at the temptation of Jesus. Number two, they've been defeated through the earthly message and ministry of Jesus. And I think the reference is there for you, Matthew 12, 28, where he talks about um, I'm stronger than the devil. I'm tearing up his kingdom. I'm, I'm not with Beelzebub. I'm against him. They were defeated on a regular basis through the earthly message and ministry of Jesus. Jesus now and then would remind us, hey, I'm still able uh, to conquer them. Thirdly, he was def- they were defeated at the cross and the empty tomb. The cross and the empty tomb. Uh, let's look at just this one. First Peter, would you go there for a moment? I want you to see this. First Peter 3. In verse 21, have you ever thought about how the demons responded as Jesus was fulfilling Scripture, and especially when he came out of that empty tomb? 1 Peter chapter number 3, and if you would please, verse 21. 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, the end of the verse says, By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. And so his resurrection positioned him to be over all powers and all authorities, including those of a demonic nature. 
Lastly, he will be defeated at the return, or they will be defeated at the return of Jesus. When he shows up and it's all over, they will be relegated to the lake of fire. Um, the other day I read this, C.H. Spurgeon said this. Uh, he didn't say this the other day, obviously. Um, but he was talking about the idea of fighting demons not with just robust rhetoric, but letting Jesus be large in your life. And he said this, Charles Spurgeon said, the preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. How do you get the devil out of your home? How do you get it out of your church? How do you get it out of your life? Preach Christ. Focus on the only one with the power to actually do Satan any harm. And so our victory comes not by trying to dialogue with our demons, however we would even use that expression. It is to talk of Jesus the one who has defeated them. They are a defeated foe. Remind them of that. Remind yourself of that. Remind others who are battling battling their demons, as we would say, preach Christ. The reality is that we fight from victory, not for victory. And so when all of the world's demonic-filled and fueled powers threaten us, we do not need to fear. God has given us victory through His truth and through His Son. All right, lastly, let's spend a few minutes talking about their fallenness in activity. So they're fallen in their nature. Who they actually are is fallen. They're fallen through the defeat that they've experienced at the hands of Christ. Thirdly, they're fallen in what they do. And so though they're defeated, they're still uh, on a leash, a somewhat long leash, it feels at times, and they are resisting God. They're seeking to oppress God's people. And you and I need to see where they are on the move. Uh, Let's look at a few verses quickly. Mark chapter 5. Would you go there? Let's talk for a few minutes about how the demons are working in our world today. Mark chapter 5 and verse number 2. Again, just a few final verses as we finish today. Mark Mark chapter 5 and verse 2. They are fallen in activity. Number 1, as we're going to read here in a moment, through demonic possession. Mark chapter 5 and verse 2. And when he, Christ, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him at the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, a.k.a. a demon, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, no, not with even chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and chains that had been plucked asunder by him, and fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day, this sad picture, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he, saw far off, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. And so we see here an example of demon possession. Demon possession means a demon residing in a person, their body, and exerting direct control and influence over that person. It could be a, a derangement of mind or body, and manifestations of that would be Uh, dumbness, blindness, disease, though we would never attribute all disease to demons. We have to be careful with that. Great strength, as we see evidenced here, wild, untamed actions. And then I think the most spooky one is even controlling the vocal cords of that person. Uh, Here, the communication is not between the, the man from Gadara and Christ. It's the demon inside of him moving and controlling his voice box communicating through this body to God. Uh, And so we see, obviously, there's the ability for that to happen. Now, here's the caveat of encouragement. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? If you know Jesus as Savior, if you don't, this would be a good reason amongst many others to receive Christ as Savior, is the Holy Spirit comes in, and the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have overcome the world. 
because of him. And so a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. We can be oppressed, but we cannot be possessed. And it's interesting in human history, including the time of Jesus' ministry, often when God's truth was most powerfully being presented and something new was being launched, that's when the demonic activity goes through the roof. And so we, as we stand for truth, as we preach truth, as we live it, may we be ready for that pushback that always will come. And so this possession, this oppression, this resistance we see through the ministry of Christ. All right, go back to Matthew 13 for a moment. Let's talk about two more, a few more as we finish here. Matthew 13 and verse 19. Matthew 13 and verse 19. This parable of the sower, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, notice this phrase, Matthew 13, 19, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Thirdly, or secondly, not only do they provide an often active and demon possession, number two, in resisting the gospel. The devil, the moment someone trusts Jesus as Savior, the devil loses a subject. The, the moment someone receives Christ, the demons and their agenda has been thwarted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so obviously they're going to resist the gospel that frees uh, someone from their grasp that they're seeking to influence and use. Um, I remember this, I think it was Danny Weiss sent this text to me. We were in Dearborn a few weeks ago, which I think was, is interesting. I was there on Friday in a highly Islamic part of our country the day before September 11th anniversary. And I think we have to be very careful in how we respond to even the events of our, our nationality and our ethnicity and our, uh, sometimes if we're not careful, bias, even though it's well-meaning. I remember Danny saying to me, it's amazing how when you go out on outreach, you're not necessarily always giddy about it. And I think he said something in effect, but afterwards you're like clicking your heels and you're like, why can't I feel that way before I go out to share the gospel or staff the fair booth or whatever? Why is it so, there's like all this resistance. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it, but there are forces trying to keep us off message, trying to keep this church from preaching the gospel and trying to penetrate the darkness of our county and world with it. And so we need to identify that, not be naive about that, and then confidently stand despite the resistance. All right, two more, and we're done. First uh, Corinthians 10. First Corinthians 10, and if you would, verse 21. What's the third thing that demons are actively doing in our world? I know this sounds a little maybe funny or odd to you to think on, but these are clearly found in Scripture. First Corinthians 10, and if you would, please, verse 21. First Corinthians 10, and verse 21, again, just to set the context for the verse previous, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils or demons. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table and of the table of devils. So he's saying, pick a side. Verse 13, go back there, a familiar verse. There had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Thirdly, they seek to tempt believers. And I often hear this, well, the devil made me do it, or the demons I have made me do it. Can I remind you, based on 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we have a glorious removal of that excuse. We can never can say, I have to. I have to cave. I have to give in. Uh, we have been freed from that through uh, Jesus Christ. And so may we confidently stand against temptation. All right, and then the last one, 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4, and if you would please, verse 1. And this is the spirit of our series and text that um, is why we're teaching on this subject 
bite-sized spirituality. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit, the Spirit, capital S, speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Notice this next phrase. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Lastly, they are often active in promoting doctrinal error. Doctrinal error ultimately is demonic. It's not just it feels good, and I guess this is now what's accepted. What's pushing and promoting that is a spiritual force, a dark force. The devil is a deceiver, and those who align with him have the same motivation. May we push back against that with the help of the Lord. All right, I want to show you this as we finish. Uh, Revelation, would you go there for a moment, chapter 5? Um, we talked about... Um, 9-11, and somebody put it in this visual, which helps me. I don't know what your phone looks like if you set a bunch of alarms. But this is the sequence of 9-11. 8.46, North Tower struck. A lot of us, maybe by 9.03, the next one, we're now watching the, the news feed. South Tower struck at 9.03. 9.37, the Pentagon, Pentagon is struck. 9.59, the South Tower collapses. I remember that moment. Uh, 10.07, the Flight 93 crashes in PA, and at 10.28, the North Tower collapses. And in that sequence, enemy after enemy, attack after attack led to the ruin um, that we remember and uh, we think on today. And I, I was watching yesterday our former president, President George W. Bush, and I missed some of his rhetoric and just how he would say things, sometimes in a way that was just simple. But he said this yesterday uh, at... Um, the field where the flight went down in Pennsylvania. And he said this, 20 years ago today, terrorists chose a random group of Americans on a routine flight to be collateral damage in a spectacular act of terror. The 33 passengers and seven crew of Flight 93 could have been any group of citizens selected by fate. In a sense, they stood for us all. The terrorists soon discovered that a random group of Americans is an exceptional group of people facing an impossible circumstance they comforted their loved ones by phone, braced each other for action, and defeated the designs of evil. And it was interesting how he ended his speech yesterday. He said, these Americans were brave, strong, and united in ways that shocked the terrorist, but should not surprise any of us. This is the nation we know. And whenever we need hope and inspiration, we can look to the skies and remember that phrase of look to the skies. And I was just thinking about this as it relations to this battle of good and evil that's maybe different now, 20 years removed, but it's the same. It's the same battle. And are we going to choose the side that is with God? Are we going to land with evil or be distracted by evil? Or are we going to land and stick with God? And the value or threat of angels is not over studying who they are intrinsically. It's, it's learning their posture toward God. Are they for God or against God? And are we willing to align with them to be for God and to experience eternity with them? Now look at these verses, and we're done. I know our time is done. But look here in verse 9 of Revelation 5. And they sung a new song, the redeemed, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Then notice verse 11, tucked in the middle of this worship. And I beheld... And I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. And just to add on, a thousand, and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And here's what I want you to think about as we finish today. 
Someday we literally will stand in this place with these faithful angels that we just studied and we will shoulder to shoulder worship the Lamb forever. And here's my question today. How, we were, how will we think of that in that moment, this moment? What we did with a fresh reminder of who angels are and why God has them known to us and they serve and help us. And will we be thankful for how we apply uh, these truths, these doctrines in our life? Someday, literally, you and I will stand with angels and sing to Jesus forever. And it ought to make a difference today. Here's the question we're done. Will you choose to fully understand and live in light of God's choose-by-his-side kind of creatures, these faithful angels? Will you live in light of the fallen ones? And will you stand upon God's truth? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.